that that play has given me an opportunity to be doing this. I mean, uh, I shouldn't have been out at second base that day. I mean, Bobby Cox should have had a runner, a pinch runner. If he couldn't find somebody to dug out, he should have found somebody in the stands to run for me. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I really and truly believe that God had a purpose for me to be there, and that was because I was supposed to be here at Central today to challenge you guys, to speak to you, to allow Christ to use me to uh, to do this. And, and as I shared in the first service, this was not my passion. This is not what I wanted to do. I did not want to get in front of people when I got out of baseball and start telling people about my faith in Jesus Christ. But it has been remarkable. It has been, it is now, it is becoming something that I absolutely love. Because, I mean, I get to minister and I get to share my heart, my love for uh, people. And, um, you know, so I am glad that I'm here with you all today. I'm glad I have the opportunity to, to share. And, and like I said, my prayer has been that God will use my message to challenge you. As a Christian, as an unbeliever in here, I pray that God will do something before, as you walk out of this door today. And so with all that said, I'm, I'm going to go back and just share with you one of my other archives. And I don't know, did you all, did you get the, uh, the recording up there? Technical difficulties. Very good. Well, one of the things, I mean, I'll play it, try to play it through my microphone, but uh, another another highlight of mine when I played the game of baseball was my first hit in Major League Baseball. I started off at the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1981, well before a lot of you guys were even born. Uh, that play was well before some of you guys were even born. But um, But my first hit sat on a cassette tape up in my office. For a long time, and I had no means to play it because I didn't have a cassette player. And so finally I found somebody that had a cassette player, and I put it onto my phone. And, you know, especially with the great Vin Scully, the announcer, passing away not too long ago, I mean, it just it just was something that I, I absolutely cherished. And, and, uh, and so if you don't mind, I'm going to play my first hit. This was, the score was one to nothing. I think it was the eighth inning. And um, we were losing one to nothing against the Cincinnati Reds. We were only behind in the, in the uh, playoffs contention by one game. And there was a guy, Cecil Westby was on third base, and they put me up to the plate for Steve Howe, if you remember the great reliever Steve Howe. And uh, so let me see if I can get it to go through my mic, and uh, we'll run run from there.
I really and truly believe, you know, Vin Skelly, my, my mom was talking to Vin Skelly because my mom understands how much I hate the middle name of Eugene. I mean, literally, when I, when I tell people what my name is, I'll say, I mean, my middle name, I'll go, E is in Edward. I mean, so, uh, but, um, so that's, I'm not a big Eugene. It's not there? Okay. Very good. My brother being my brother. Well, guys, it, like I said, it's an honor for me to be here with you. Uh, I do share this as well. Uh, I got my, my second hit. That was September 7th. That hit on September 23rd. I got my second hit off of a guy by the name of somebody that you guys, even you youngsters might recognize his name by the name of Nolan Ryan or something like that. And uh, got a, had an RBI on that one as well. My first time up against him. And, um, you know, literally came back to the bench and, you know, just looked at the guy and said, you guys make such a big stink out of this Nolan, guy, Nolan Ryan guy. Who in the world is he? But, uh, no, I, I didn't do that. But I, didn't, I don't think I got another hit off him the rest of the time I played. But uh, uh, great, great ball player. And, and I didn't share this in the first service, but I got to tell you this. Deion Sanders beat me in a race. I know how fast I was, but Deion Sanders beat me in a race. And uh, this is the only problem. He was running backwards when I was running forwards. <laughs> and that's the truth. So uh, that's how fast he was. But uh, let me just share this with you again. I shared this at the beginning. Your lead guitarist is re- amazing. I mean, for absolutely. And I, and I don't even want to just share him to this time. I want to share this guy here too, the drummer. I mean, I can only imagine where sticks would be flying at my age. I mean, right now, but he's on cue for everyone. And, uh, you know, your guitarist up here doing what he's doing at 60. I mean, I'm, I'll be sick. I'm 62 years old right now. And my mind tells me I could hit a 95 mile an hour fastball, but I know my body won't allow it to happen. And he's back there, I mean, just playing along, and he's over there hitting every every drum uh, that's back there. I mean, it's amazing. So you you have two amazing instrumental mentalists, I mean, uh, playing for you all for sure. I mean, not that the other ones aren't good either, but uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to get right to the heart of the matter of of why I'm here. But before that, let me just have a word of prayer with you, real quick, okay? Father in heaven. Once again, we're here for you. This is your place, Father. And God, I mean, I am up here to be your vessel. And Lord, I know I can't do anything without you being present. So I just pray for your Holy Spirit to rest on this place. And I pray, Lord, for you to use my words, use my mind to be able to express what you want to have shared here today so that individuals in this room, Father, would be challenged in their life with Jesus Christ, and also, if they don't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this privilege, and God, may you be honored and glorified in your precious name. Amen. So I I went to a school named Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. All four of my kids went there. I met my wife there. Since I went there back in 1978, I started there. We've had 19 Breams go to Liberty University. I mean, uh, so I've, I've built a couple schools there with the people that we've had. I mean, not a couple schools, but a couple of the buildings and everything. But but uh, 
when I played there at Liberty University Baseball, we had a coach by the name of Al Worthington. Al Worthington played many years in, the, in professional ranks, but he was a godly, godly coach. I wish everybody, I wish everybody that played sports had an opportunity to be under Coach Worthington because he not only taught me, developed me in the game of baseball, but he, he helped me to how, you know, teach, taught me how to become a man. He taught me about, you know, taking care of your, your, your ladies, how you're supposed to walk on the inside, the roadside when you're walking down the street with your ladies to protect her. You talk to her about opening the door, car door for her and so many other things. Coach Worthington was one of those individuals, as we always said. I mean, you remember this, the uh, commercials, E.F. Hutton. When people listen or when people speak, when they speak, I mean, people listen. Well, Coach Worthington was one of those individuals. There was so much wisdom coming out of his mouth that the one day he shared a story that when he was playing in the, in the game of baseball, he had one of his friends that was on that team. Every day they'd go out on the line and they'd run their sprints. And as they ran their sprints, I mean, every day, no matter how many they ran, whether it was 10 or 15 to keep their, their bodies active and, and keep, you know, keep themselves in shape, no matter how many they did, Coach Worthington would beat him in every race. So one day as they were out, his friend looked at him and said, I, I want to bet you this much money that I can beat you in this race. And Coach Worthington, you got to understand who he is. He, he just looked at him and said, are you a fool? I have beat you in every race that we've ever run out here, and now you're going to bet me that you can beat me in a race? I'll take your money. This, this is ridiculous. So they got on the line. Somebody said go, and his friend just blew him away. And you, you have to understand, once again, my coach, I mean, he did, that did not go over too well with him. Because, I mean, here he was every day. He was out there giving it his best. And his friend was lackluster at, in, at best with his performance as far as running sprints are concerned. And so, I mean, that was the first scenario, this first situation. Second one, maybe some of you all remember the movie Facing the Giants. And there was a, there was a young man on that team. The coach was coaching this football team and there was a young man on that team that was the best player on the team, but he was also that thorn in the coach's side. He'd always get the other players riled up. And so one day they were doing a drill and the drill was they got on all fours and they put a, a, another person on the, the individual's back and they'd, they'd go out to the 10 yard lines plodding and then they'd come back to the goal line and to build up strength, to build up endurance, and so on and so forth. But one of the days that they were doing that, this young man started to act up. And so his coach needed to do something. And so what he did is he wanted to challenge the young man. He said, I want to challenge you to see whether or not you can put that young man on your back blindfolded and make it out to 50 yards with that young man on your back. And being a you know, cocky young little guy he was, sure, I could do that, no problem. So they got on the line. He said, go. And he started to go. No problems for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the lactic acid started to build up in his arms, and his, his breathing became a little bit more concentrated, and so on and so forth. And as he was doing that, he'd holler up at his coach, Coach, am I getting close? Am I getting close? And the coach would just holler back at him, Are you giving it your best? Are you giving it your best? And the, the young man would keep on moving. 
And every so often he'd holler up again, Coach, am I getting close? And the coach would holler back, Are you giving it your best? Are you giving it your best? And the young man just kept on going until finally he couldn't go anymore and he collapsed. And at that point in time, as he started to recover a little bit and he rolled over on his back and he, he started to take off his blindfold, he looked up at his coach. He said, Coach, did I make the 50 yards? And the coach looked at him and said, Son, you not only made 50, but you made 100 because you gave it your best. And the message today for me, for, for me to you is this. If you call Jesus Christ your, your, your friend, your Savior, your Lord, are you giving God your best? And so I wanted to start off by reading a passage of Scripture in Malachi in verse, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And it says this, he said, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord, of hosts to you priests who despise my name? He said, yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible or deserving of scorn, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? Bring it to the, your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor, asked the Lord of hosts? And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? So since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? And I'll just go on to verse 14 of that verse. And it says, the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock. And makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great God, a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So what has taken place in this scripture is understanding in the Old Testament what was needed for individuals to come, you know, come to the priest was to bring a, a an unblemished, undiseased animal. It needed to be the first first fruits of their flocks coming to these priests in order for them to sacrifice to put on the altar so that their their sins were covered, not not removed, but their sins were covered. That was a requirement for the people of the Old Testament to go to their priests and give them their sacrifice in order for them to take care of the the, the, uh, the covering of their sins. And what was going on in this passage here is it's talking about how they were bringing diseased animals, they were bringing lame animals, they weren't giving God their best. He, he says in there, he said, would you give this to your governor? Would you, would you serve this up to your governor? Absolutely not. So, I mean, what's taking place? I mean, it, it, and let me just read for you real quick. In, in Deuteronomy 15, 21, it says this. But if it has any defects such as lameness or blindness or any serious defects, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So the reason that I share all that, folks, is to say this. They were required to give it their best. They were required to give God their best. And the reason that I say that and switch it to us today, I mean, as Christ followers, as individuals that say we, we serve Christ, how many, how often in our lives do we, are we not giving God our best? If you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior here, 
Can I ask you, is God getting your best? And I mean, and, and so let me just start off with the, with the, I mean, Peter says, be holy as I am holy. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, let me just get started off with several different things. As far as, I mean, to, to talk about, to see where we're at as far as our life with Jesus Christ. And first of them, is God getting our best as far as our time? Is He our priority? Is He our priority? Do you guys wake up at the beginning of the day and just say, Lord, thank you for the night of sleep. Lord, thank you for this day that you put before me. Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to do work in me today. Is that what comes out of your mouth? Is the first thing that goes comes out of your mouth is, man, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Where's my coffee? I mean, you know, what what I got to do for work today? But I mean, Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he'll meditate day and night. And he says, if you do that, you'll be like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does, prospers. Did you get that? If he's meditating on the Lord day and night, is he your priority, folks? Is God getting your day? Are you asking God to shape your day to make you into the person that God, he wants you to be? Asking the Holy Spirit to to protect you as you go throughout the course of that day. Is he your priority? So that's number one. Number two, how about your, is God getting your best as far as your Bible reading? Your memorization? How many of you all literally leave this place and never pick up a Bible the rest of the week? But in your workplace, in your hobbies, how many of you will study hard in order to figure out what needs to take place at your workplace? Or if you have a hobby, how many of you are just getting into YouTube videos, getting into reading books to figure out how to do certain things? But yet when it comes to calling ourselves Christians, how easy it is for us to get away from God's word and not understand anything that we he, he wants for our lives. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're supposed to be in God's word. How, we, how else are we supposed to understand and know who Jesus Christ is and what he wants for our lives unless we're in his word? Psalm 119, 105 and 106, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Is God's word being digested by yourselves on a daily basis? Are you, are you reading God's word so that you understand what God wants for your life? I just had a conversation with a young man down in Georgia not too long ago and, and we were, you know, God gave me an opportunity to start, talk to him about the Lord. And he started to share and he said, you know, in my opinion, and this is a lot of people's opinion, God is a God of love. And He is. Man, He loved you so much that He was willing to come and die on a cross of Calvary for you. 
But at the same time, folks, he's also a holy God. He's also a righteous God, and he tells us to be holy as he is holy. And so we're supposed to live our lives in order to understand what he's about. But one of the things that he didn't understand, I just said, I said, you know, the, the problem with, with God is just holy, or, or God is just a God of love, and we don't read this book to find out anything else, we can't, our lives don't change. Our lives won't change. You know, you should be able to look back from a month ago or yesterday to the day, maybe a month ago, a year ago, and you should be able to see the change that God has made in your life. But if we don't read God's Word, where it talks, you know, different things, and I'm going to bring up some of them, if we don't read about how God wants our lives to change, how are we supposed to know? Sometimes maybe we don't want to read God's Word because we don't want to change. So are you giving your best as far as your reading, Bible reading? Let me add, and, and, and memorization. And I share this. I mean, years ago, I used to be, have a Bible study at my house. And I made the people who came on my Bible study, I made them memorize Scripture. They didn't like me. I made them do push-ups. I made them, you know, put money into a coffer if they didn't memorize their Scriptures. But folks, I mean, they came to me years later. Years later and told me how appreciative. And these were people that said all the time, I can't memorize. I, can't, I, I just can't memorize. That's a bunch of baloney. Everyone, I don't care how old you are in here, you can memorize scripture. But they came to me, I mean, and now they came to me and said, man, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you made us memorize scripture back then. But let me just ask you as a Christ follower today. What if somebody came over here and took away all your Bibles? What are you going to live on? What are you going to live on? What are you going to remember from God's Word? The promises that He gave us and so on and so forth. So the second thing is our Bible reading and our memorization is God getting our best in regards to that? How about your prayer time? And I know, folks, it's difficult to pray. As I shared in the first service, I mean, I've been praying for my my oldest son and his wife for years. For years they have a baby. There's even a, a promise in God's Word in Psalm 113 that says, He will make the childless woman the joyful mother of children. And I pray it, and I pray it, and nothing happens. She has a miscarriage, she has a miscarriage, she has a miscarriage. And it's tough. It's tough to pray sometimes. But at the same time, folks, I mean, that's what he requires from us in Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians 5, 5, 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for your life. God wants to have that communion with us. He wants to be able to talk to us like we would talk to a friend, a family member, whatever. He wants that to happen. How many of you all remember the movie War Room? Priscilla Shriver. If I said that correctly. 
But how in that movie, she talked about, you know, Satan is on the other side. You got the angel on one side, you got the devil on the other side, and the devil is trying to bring you down. He said he's a, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, folks. And in that movie, I mean, it was very, very, her priority was praying for her family, understanding that Satan's doing everything he can in order to destroy a family. Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your loved ones? Is prayer a part of your life? Is God getting your best in regards to prayer? So then we move on. How about your relationships? Is God getting your best in regards to your relationships? Number one, if you read God's word, you'll find out that marriage out, I mean, uh, being together outside of wedlock is not right. But yet today, I mean, in our churches today, people will say, hey, no big deal. God's a God of love. He wants us to be together. Do you know percentage of, uh, percentage of individuals that live together and then get married have a higher divorce rate than those that, that uh, do it the first time? And at the same time, what about our husband and wife relationships? Is God getting our best as far as our husband and wife relationships? Guys, I'll be married for 40 years in February. And I want you to know something. There were days that I looked at my wife and said, I don't want to be with you. And there were definitely days that she looked at me and said, I don't want to be with you. But folks, when we put that ring on the finger, you said for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do his part, no matter what takes place. And there's going to be things in each one of your marriages, guys, that I mean, gives you the opportunity to say, I don't want to be here anymore. But you didn't sign up for that. When you put that ring on her finger, you signed up for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do you part. There needs to be forgiveness. It has to happen. There will be days that you don't want to be with that person. But if you continue to ask God to strengthen that marriage, God's going to do it. And he's going to make it enjoyable. He's going to make it fun. And I just share this, this, this uh, statistic with you. Back in 1993, a Gallup poll was taken. And they, they researched as far as divorce in the church and divorce outside of church. And both of them were one out of two, you know, in the church and outside the church, which is, to me, is tragic. Extremely tragic in our churches today that we, we just feel as though, hey, nilly-willy, no big deal. Let's just get a divorce. I fell out of love with you. The next person you're going to get with, you're going to fall out of love with them. You're going to fall out of love with the next person. But here is another great, I mean, a, a great part of that statistic. For a husband and wife that prayed together to ask God to bless their relationship, to make it work. You know what the statistic was for that? One out of 1,153 people got a divorce. One out of 1,153 got a divorce. Basically infinite. Husbands in here, you're the leaders of the home. 
I don't care what today's market says, the, you know, the movie industry says. You're the leaders in your home. Are you praying with your wives? Are you taking that opportunity to, at night or, or just having a special time and just saying, Lord, protect my marriage. Help me to lead my wife. And what is a leader, folks? A leader is not somebody that crushes. A leader, as Christ talks about, is a leader that serves. That serves. You should be serving your wife. And yet we all get in our fleshly nature. We all get outside of that sometimes. And we just ask for God to forgive us. And to keep moving, going in the right. But understand this, ladies, it's your job as well. It's your job as well. And the Bible says for you girls, you're supposed to submit. And I know, ooh, submit. But I, man, I want to tell you something. If we were serving the way we're supposed to serve, the women would be willing to submit. So father, husbands, start taking up the charge to start praying with your wives. It'll do a number in your relationship. It'll make you accountable. If you do the right thing. And now we're going to get into some difficult ones. Not that that wasn't difficult enough. Your purity in your thought life. Is God getting your best as far as your purity in your thought life? Understand this. And this, this accounts for both men and women. But statistics says that a man or a woman will look at pornography at least once. I mean, without, if you go to church, they'll look at pornography. Seven out of ten, seven out of ten people to go to church will look at pornography throughout the course of the month. Five out of ten pastors, the same thing. And let me just say this. Your wife will never, ever live up to those fantasies. And you'll never, ever gain her trust once you've broken it. And I, like I said, I share that from experience. You'll never, ever bat a thousand again in your wife's eyes. You can build it back up to nine ninety nine, but you'll never, ever bat a thousand. So men and women, it's imperative the Bible talks about how something offends, cut it off. Pluck it out. Do what you need to do in order to get that out of your life so that your, your relationship with your wife or your, your husband can be what it's supposed to be. So your purity in your thought life is so crucial. Because, I mean, go, guys, I mean, let me just say this. You'll live with guilt. You'll live with shame if you don't get rid of it. How about your words that come out of your mouth? You know, I, I see it so many times. We come into this church and, hello, Brother George, it's so great to see you. God is good. He's so good to us, ain't he? And then we leave our church and we either go home or we go to our workplace. And the first thing that happens at our workplace is filthy jokes are coming out of our mouth. Or we're cursing. And I share the story of a, a football gentleman that I just heard that was supposed to be this strong Christian man. 
But yet the other day on television, I mean, all I could do was read his lips and he said, you MF, you MF, you MF. Folks, how are you supposed to be different if your mouth is the same as this world? I mean, and again, if we read God's word, Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Ephesians 5.4 says, in coarse and foolish talking or crude joking, like I said, I'm, are not suitable. If you read God's word, you're going to find out what the, 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 the life, I mean, what you're supposed to be living So how in the world, I mean, and I just told pastor in between services, you know, I play a lot of celebrity golf outings. And it's amazing. I mean, I'll play, there'll be four, four, a foursome. And when they get together, most of the time, what's going to take place right away is they start telling all these dirty jokes and they start, you know, their mouth is just gone. And I wanted to put some cayenne pepper in their mouth or something because that's what happened with us. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, when, when they started doing all that, I'd always just slip away. And it was amazing. It was amazing by the ninth hole how often somebody would come up and something would come out of their mouth while they were beside me and they'd say, sorry, Sid, didn't mean to do that. They had already started to take notice that you weren't going to be like that. So my question to you is, as you go to work on Monday morning, is that something that's coming out of your mouth? Are you letting a curse word go out? Are you telling a dirty joke? Or is your mouth holy? The way God wants it to be holy. And the seventh thing here, and again, guys, there are so many things. I mean, I, I have up here talking about your, your tithing, your giving to the Lord. I mean, obviously we could... We could all talk about the fact that, I mean, statistics say that 10% of the church give 90% of the funds to a church. You know, I always say, if God has your wallet, he has you. When God has your wallet, he has you. Because, I mean, you understand that it's not yours to begin with. It's his. But in, but in uh, Malachi, it said, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. And then he says, test me on it. To see if I will not just open the, the doors to heaven. All the blessings from heaven. Is God getting your best that way? But then the last thing here, guys. I mean, I went off track. But is God getting your best as far as your witness to others? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time somebody come up to you and said, Man, what's so different about you? You're going through a difficult time, but you still have a, you still have joy in your heart. You know, in Scripture, there's three things, the three the three greatest commandments. Am I getting long again? Three greatest commandments. I see Pastor down here looking at his watch. I know I'm getting long. Three greatest commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And third one, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all God's command. That's your, that, those are the three things that we're all about as Christians. And as I shared in the first service, it's not his job to bring people into this church. 
It's your job. It's your job to ask a neighbor, to ask a family member. And then from there, tell them you'll take them out to lunch. Everybody loves lunch. But folks, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? That's what we're supposed to be all about. And so my, here's another question for you. If, if you were to meet me out in the street and I were to ask you as, as dad and mom, what are your priorities for your kids? Without you knowing anything about me, what would, what would you say? I, I guarantee you most of you in here would say, I want them to be, sorry about my thumb. <laughs> Sticks out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? I want them to have a healthy life. I want them to have a good education. I want them to, to uh, get a good job. I want them to have a nice spouse. I want them to have grandkids. You know, all those things. And I want you to know something. None of those are wrong. None of those are wrong. But if your priority for your kids is for them not to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if that's not your priority, then can I say you're messed up? Because, folks, none of that stuff will really matter when it comes to the place where they, they die and go to hell. Folks, we're here for a little time. You're born today and you're going to die. I don't care if you live to be 120 years old. There's your life. But folks, out there is eternity. And my wife and I wanted to know that our kids, not that there's not abundant blessing and peace and joy and understanding who, who controls this world here on this earth. But folks, I want to know that when I stand before Jesus Christ and my kids, I want to know that he's going to say, well done. Come on in. That's peace. That's peace. I can put my head on a pillow at night and not worry about my kids. I even have a grandson. He's five years old and has already given his heart to Jesus Christ. That's peace. Do you have that peace? My wife and I would do everything we possibly could, folks, in order to put them in places so that somebody else could hear the message of Jesus Christ. Is that a priority for you? I got to get moving. I know you got another service coming up. So you sit there and say to yourself, okay, with all this stuff, man, giving God your best, how in the world do I do that? What should be my process? And let me just share with you a couple of verses. First of all, Luke 9, 23, if anyone come after me, they must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. That's the first thing. All of us in here have to get to the place where we say, Lord, this is your day. I give it to you. Get rid of me. Help me to live my life to, to honor and glorify you. That's the first thing. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you don't read God's words, you're never going to find out what he wants for your life. You gotta read God's word and ask Him every time that you get into it, Lord, show me something.
There will be dry days. I'm sure pastor has dry days where he gets in the Word and nothing just really hits you. But just keep being faithful. Keep moving. Just keep asking Him to mold you and shape you and do what He wants to do with you. I guarantee that God's going to start changing your life. Guy, folks, you should see a difference in yourself. Whether it was yesterday, a month ago, a year ago, or ten years ago, there should be such a difference in you from ten years ago to today or, or a month ago to today. You should be learning and growing in Christ Jesus. So my question to you is God getting your best. And then from there, let me just quickly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm sure with somebody, you know, you in here, some of you in here don't know Christ. You come to church just like you go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac and you think that, that you, you don't become a, a, a McDonald's Big Mac. You come to church and you think I'm good. But folks, there's a lot of people missing the boat. And I just share, I mean, Josh McDowell, he was an atheist. Went to college and had a couple friends of his ask him to, uh, challenged him as an atheist to find something. Find something that would uh, tell the world that Jesus wasn't true. And so it says in his book that he spent over 700 hours researching to find something. And at the end of 700 hours, I mean, he couldn't come up with anything. He realized the truth was that Jesus Christ was real. He was God's son. He did come to this earth as a little baby in, in Bethlehem. He did grow and was a perfect individual. And he did come and die on a cross for each one of us. But then it says that he took 18 months after he found out what the truth was. It took him 18 months before he surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ. Because of pride, because of saying, man, I'm not going to listen to somebody tell me what I can do and what I can't do. But now Josh McDowell's a pastor out in California. But he said in his book, he said this, Christ was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's who he said he was. And my challenge for each one of you in here, he had to do his research. And every one of you have to do your research as well. You can't listen to a teacher. You can't listen to a professor. You can't listen to mom and dad. You can't listen to a friend. you got to do your own research because it's your life that's at stake. Your life. And I guarantee even for myself and my brother, we had to do our research. We were brought up in a Christian home. And we lived on our coattails of our parents for a while. But we had to do our own research to come to the truth whether or not Jesus was who he said he was or not. So this is my challenge to you. Just understand this. I think all of us in here know the story of Noah and the flood and how God commanded Noah to, to build the ark. And he went to the townspeople to ask them, would you build, help me build the ark? And they laughed at him. They spit at him. They told him, you're a fool. There's no such thing as a rain flood. But folks, I mean, after he got that ark done and he brought the animals into that place, God said it was time. And at that point in time, the Bible says that God's hand started to close the door of that ark. 
No man could close it, folks. It was too heavy. But God's hand started to close that door. And can you imagine those people? Can you imagine those people that sat there and, and, and threw insults and abused Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their, their granddaughters or their, their daughter, his daughter-in-laws? Can you imagine them now banging on the side of that boat? Let me in! Let me in! The daughter-in-laws sitting there watching their, their parents down on the edge of the, the boat. Let me in, daughter! And they couldn't do anything. And that door shut and all those people drowned and died and went to hell. Folks, for some of us in here, that, that door is closing. That door is closing. And one of these days it's going to close and you're not going to have another chance. And so I pray that today, I mean, as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, that you'll come to that place where you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you'll start to grow in His love and peace and joy that only comes through Him. So that's my message. For the Christians, is God getting your best? And for you that are not saved in here, and you know who you are. You might have done church a long time. You might say you're a Christian. And as my, you know, again, we just had a good, good talk and a little feisty talk out at the cabin, out at Swan Lake. And my brother said, you know, it's, everybody claims you're a Christian. But it should be, are you a Christ follower? Are you really a Christ follower? And so my challenge to you today, are you a Christian or are you a Christ follower? Is God really working in your heart? Have you surrendered all that you are to him? I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's something that you want to do, just pray this prayer with me real quick, okay? Father in heaven, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for helping me see, Lord, how much you love me. Today I confess my sins to you. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and make your home in my heart. I surrender all that I am and ask you, Lord, to give me the joy and the peace and the contentment that only you can give. I love you and thank you for what you've done for me. In your precious name, amen. Thank you all. I hope and pray that some way I challenged you. May God bless you and God can continue to keep you. And may this church start to be the witness it's supposed to be to this community, okay? God bless.